Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best song, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Shall I introduce myself? Hi, I'm Keith. <laughs> Just drinking my water, making sure I sound good on Abby Normal. I hope everyone is having a great evening, (laughs) great afternoon, great day. You're like a radio host right now. I love it so much. Abby who? Abby Normal. This is the Abby Normal podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. Guess whose lovely voice you just heard singing and speaking? It's Keith. I am a worship leader. He's a young dude. I'm 29. Wait, am I 30? 29. But he's not shy. I'm kind of like the outgoing extrovert. I was popular, but not like the fun popular. Like <laughs> He's had some diverse church experiences. One was kind of mega churchy, really great musical worship, predominantly white. And then the other side of it was predominantly black, lots of choir rather than like solo worship leader. And he's had some life experiences that have led him to join this club. Tons of Christians who are out and proud now, which is where I'm at. (laughs) He grew up in sunny San Diego. It is beautiful there. Did you like it? Yeah, um, I love San Diego. It's really chill. I feel like, okay, I'm probably a bad San Diegan because I'm not a beach person or a sun person. Mm, So sad. (laughs) Yeah, Bay Area is also really nice to me because I get the overcast. I get Carl the Fog. And that's what you prefer. That's probably what I prefer. But I mean, best of both worlds in terms of like food, you get really great cuisine in both areas. Bay Area, San Diego, lots of different cultures. It's a melting pot. And food is your thing, right? Food is my thing. <laughs> I mean, food is always my thing. I'm just, yeah, always down to get food. Okay, but yeah. do you make food too? I mean, I try. <laughs> um, wait, do you make food? No, I don't. Nope. Okay, like, yeah, I mean, uh, steaks, meats are easy. Um, I grew up making a lot of, like, fried rice or, like, kimchi fried Like, rice dishes are okay. probably the easiest. My mom is Vietnamese. My dad is black. So that's kind of where I get some of the fried rice influence uh, in mm-hmm. terms of my, my mom's side. and. But she didn't teach you how to cook. No, that's more my grandma or like watching my grandma because my grandma and grandfather, like they owned uh, a restaurant where they would do like chow mein, even though chow mein, <laughs> that's Chinese, um, but like they would do a lot of just Asian dishes. Yeah. Um, I remember just being like three to probably like 10 years old or something and I would sit at the restaurant because they were kind of like my my babysitters while my mom um, was just like working for me. She was a single mom. She was just always hard at work. And at, at some point she'd shifted to working from home. And I was really lucky to have her around um, and for me to be around the house while she was working from home. So my mom and I are extremely close. I think we probably like both know the most about each other out of like the two humans who like could know anything about each other in the world, uh, which like, is that healthy? I don't know. Uh, but, We're not um, questioning it, but it's like, I just feel like it's like Gilmore girls. Like I relate to Gilmore oh. girls. I am Rory. She is Lorelai. And literally my grandma is like the grandmother of, of that series. Oh so like God. we all love each other and look out for each other. And then my dad um, is a retired Marine. Super outgoing, super funny, super engaging, willing to like hold a conversation, like a fun conversation with anybody. Yeah. Now you said your mom's a single mom. So both parents like around growing up or it was mostly your mom? Mostly my mom. So he's a lot like his dad, but he obviously has a special connection with his mom. She always has like the right thing to say like and and it's not like a bad thing either it's like I always go to her for advice yeah. uh, like life advice and I just love her judgment uh, on, <laughs> on anything <laughs> judgment <laughs> in the good sense right. like being yeah. able to like 
perceive a situation and be like, this is probably like the wiser thing to do. Right. So that's like, I don't know, like yeah. a good quality in a mom that yeah. I, I would hope for, like just anyone totally a parent. So my mom, she did grow up not, I don't think she grew no, she did not grow up Christian, but like I was kind of raised under her wing with the church um, as she was starting to explore the church. Like I, I think I was introduced to kind of the concept of God, like four-ish years old. And the, the concept of God to me was like, I remember being in the bathtub and my mom's like, you know, like God made everything. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like even my rubber ducky, I was in the bathtub. <laughs> he was like, and I was like, even my rubber ducky. She's like, yes, even your rubber ducky. I'm like, so it's just like, I don't know. That was kind of like my world at the time. God was part of bath time, and Christianity came from his dad's side too. So he's a Christian. I remember going as a young kid to his baptism, and on that side of the family, we were Baptist. I remember doing an altar call at a black Baptist church. And when you do altar calls there, it's a very different thing where like, yes, you go to the front. Um, For for people who don't know what an altar call is, it's kind of like when you are in the middle of a service and the pastor is like, if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, (laughs) or if you... um, yeah, if you're if you've heard the message and you're interested, like go ahead and raise your hand as everyone has their eyes closed and their heads bowed, kind of thing. And I was probably like four or five. I didn't know what I was doing, and so like I raised my hand. I'm like, I, I want to rededicate or I want to dedicate my life to Jesus. And not not saying it was a bad experience. It wasn't traumatic in any way, but. I didn't know what I was signing up for because what they do is like they get all the people and they like bring you into the the pastor off the pastor's office and talk for like a good hour about what does it mean to be Christian. It's kind of like a membership class. Oh my gosh! And I was just like, oh, I didn't know what that that this was that. Um, and I was like five years old and it felt like a business meeting. So yeah, you're like, where's the snacks at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but fortunately, um, at that church, we always had like. Grits and, and hot links after after the four hour service. <laughs> so. As a kid, he went to church every Sunday, trading off between his mom's and his dad's. Did you go there regularly? Like every other, like every other weekend that I went to my dad's and my my grandmother's house, like we would go and do that. Two totally different experiences. His mom's church was what felt like home. I grew up in a Calvary Chapel okay. context. It's kind of like a, I don't know if it's like a Baptist offshoot or something like that, but I feel like at some point it becomes like a non-denominational, mm-hmm. but that's kind of a culture in and of itself, I would say, um, more right-wing. <laughs> yeah, and so they're kind of like, where does it say that in the Bible type of type of living? Um that's, yeah. But however, they also had like really amazing worship for those who are like into that type of thing. Like Phil Wickham came out of like my church. Jeremy Camp came out of my church. Is it big? It is like a chain of churches. So it's like, uh-huh. yeah. And then my church itself was decently big. Yeah. And band, right? You had like a worship band at the Calvary Chapel. Yeah. Worship band at Calvary Chapel, whereas it was more gospel choir at, at the other church. Yeah, so kind of two different experiences. Did you feel differently at one versus the other? I actually felt probably more comfortable at the Calvary Chapel um, growing up because that's where I was like first exposed to Christianity, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like so that was kind of the culture that I was like first immersed in and then like that became my own. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas... Stepping into Black Baptist churches was just something that I kind of went to every other weekend. That's what it felt like more to me. Right, right. Um, where where you, you were just a visitor there. More a visitor yeah. that like I, I grew accustomed and more familiar to some of the cultural things going on. However, like I felt like I could more easily step back into a Calvary Chapel, non-denominational type of an upbringing. Yeah. Yeah, going into 
the kids ministries. Like it was fun learning about kind of all of these stories. And I think I will always carry that with me. Like the stories of the Bible are just so interesting. Um, they, I think they're potentially so beautiful. They can also be used for a lot of harm, but I think that they are incredibly beautiful and they show a lot of aspects of humanity, who we are and who we can be, and also show different aspects of the divine, um, what God is like and what God's love is like. So, like, I will always carry kind of children's ministry and youth group with me and all of those stories. The church he holds closest to his heart to this day is the one that he attended in high school. The youth group I started attending um, once I got into, like, high school was more a Pentecostal <laughs> uh, youth group uh, with, a, with a Pentecostal church that I'm still, like, in love with. Like, I go down there um, to San Diego and visit them and say hi and worship with them whenever I can. So, We have another high school Jesus freak here. Yes. So I, I was introduced to that church through, like, my high school's faith club and i think in high school <laughs> i was like that jesus freak that oh um, i like cringe like kind of at the thought of that um uh-huh. where i'm just like i wish i could just tell keith from high school to just like have a little bit more fun <laughs> yes. um because just life is way more interesting than yeah. whatever you think it is so <laughs> okay tell me more about high school jesus freak keith <laughs> what does he wear <laughs> oh my gosh well one i mean i think high schoolers are just trying to figure out who they are and i mean honestly okay tangent i'm uh-huh. still figuring out who i am today but anyways like back then like just expressing yourself through clothes and i remember wearing two colored shirts on top of each other like why <laughs> Um, and I don't know. I just thought it was a good idea one day. Um, Wait, were they button up or polo? They were like polos on top okay. of each other. Okay. And I was just like, was I like, thing. I like the the layered collar in different color looks. But I don't know. That was weird. Now that I look back on it. <laughs> so there's that. And I was also, however, I was like very involved in like student life. So I was class president every year. Oh my gosh. Um, and. What else did I do? Were like, you popular? I was popular, but not like the fun popular. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, like I was definitely like just like more chilling with the nerds. And then again, yeah, I was a Jesus freak too. So it's like that's automatically like not very cool. What did you feel like was the worst sin when you were in high school? Oh, being gay. <laughs> like number one worstest sin. Yes, being, <laughs> being gay. And did you get that from church? Yeah, I think that was from church. I think that was also like unknowingly just from like cultural things, um, cultural factors um, from both of my heritages. Right. But, like, I think a large part was church. Yeah. Like, I remember when X, like, the ex-gay ministry thing, like, or ex-gay therapies when they were doing all of that through Exodus Ministries and whatnot. Like, I remember there was a billboard where it was, like, an Asian woman crying. (laughs) I don't know why this is so funny to me. Like, but there was, like, a billboard of, like, an Asian woman crying. It showed her face, and then next to it, it said something like, are you gay and don't want to be anymore or something like that? Like, here's our website. And I remember being like a 13, like probably 13, 14, 15 year old. So this is my, like might be middle school even like looking up at that and being like one day when I'm older and don't have to like come out to anybody, like I'll call that number (gasps) and that'll be like when I can change. No. Yeah. So like, I laugh, but like maybe that's more of like a like a defensive type of thing because oh, yeah, yeah. So it's 
looking back on it, I would say like, gosh, like just the self-hatred was really, really there. You knew you were gay when you were like 13. Oh, yeah. Way earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Probably like fourth, fifth grade. Yeah. And you were just like, I'll deal with that when I'm grown and yeah. old. Yeah. Little did I know, like, you can't bottle. I don't know. People can bottle that up forever. Can they? I, I mean, not in, I don't think it works out for you very well. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't able to bottle that up for very long. I got to college, went to UC Berkeley, joined Christian clubs there. And then I think just something that, I took away from kind of faith and Christianity, even in those circles, was like kind of the idea of the truth will set you free. And again, carrying those stories that I took, even from children's ministry, is kind of just always asking about like, what is the truth, the truth of who we are, the truth of who God is. And that was something that I could not escape. And I would say my idea of what the truth is is constantly... (laughs) changing or evolving or what have you but at that time I was just like no I have to own this aspect of who I am like and so that meant coming out so I came out like sophomore year of college and I thought that it would be easier um, once you came out and I think for some people it is because then it's like a, a burden is released from your shoulders and you could be more of who you are I didn't find that um, I found more like that I was coming out, but I was still in certain contexts and in specific churches where I couldn't really be gay. (laughs) Um, Like I could say I was, but I couldn't really own up to what that meant for my life. And I also don't want to blame churches either. Like I just, there was something within me that was like still trying to reconcile church, mm-hmm. family cultures and upbringings um, who I wished I could be. So, I mean, it's always like a mix. And mm. so that's where I was at. So I was just finding that my experience of coming out wasn't like this pride flag everywhere type of thing. It was right. more like, okay, I'm gay, but I can't act on it type of thing. Even out of the closet, admitting his identity as a gay man, there wasn't joyful flag-waving. There was fixation and the lingering desire to remove a part of him that was somehow unacceptable. So when you came out, did you still feel like that was the number one sin? It wasn't the number one sin, but I do feel like it magnified my focus my my hyper (laughs) vigilance or my hyper like focus on it Mm. and I think that is also a reflection of kind of what the church is today like I feel like the church is like oh all sin is is equally condemning or condemnable before the eyes of God right however they still have this like fixation on sex and it's kind of telling I think of like where are your priorities actually? Mm-hmm. Um, are you actually out for truth? Um, these stories of truth that you're telling that lead to justice and to ownership of who you are and who God is, or are you really just like trying to tell people how to live their lives and not actually have them explore for their, for themselves aspects of what, what truth is. So I would say, yeah, like, I wouldn't say it was the biggest sin anymore. However, I found myself just so caught up in that world of like, how do I rid myself of this one thing? Or how do I take this out of me? Shit, that's like a heavy burden. (laughs) All of that. Oh, totally. Yeah, not fun. Don't recommend. (sighs) but But like, there is like another side to it. If you're willing to... Kind of, I don't know. I think it's maybe just sitting with yourself and asking yourself the hard questions. And I don't think it means coming to like where I'm at necessarily. Like I think I have met 
Christians who are kind of still in that framework or that worldview um, that I can't live in. (laughs) But they seem like, I mean, they are like, I would say healthy people and how they interact with others, Mm -hmm. how they are still willing to call the church out on its shit. On the other hand, like I know tons of Christians who are out and proud now, which is where I'm at (laughs) and who are continuing to show the diversity of what it means to be human in ways that I think point to God's beauty. So Keith was living his life, navigating this reality. And then in 2020, as you all know, a global pandemic hit and it walloped Keith. The pandemic year forced a lot of us to just sit with ourselves and the murders of black people in that year, like led me to like just huge depression in ways that I, I wasn't even fully able to express then or now, but I did know like physically, like I was laying in bed. Um, There's also like anti-Asian hate at that time where like my own friends were like, should I buy a gun? And so like, these are kind of factors of like, again, part of parts of my identity were kind of like stirring up and crying out. Mm-hmm. And I was like forced again to sit there and listen with it in that pandemic season. And throughout all of this, I was doing like therapy, but like, it was at that point where it was just like, my therapist was like kind of saying things like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Like, cause there were already people in my life where they're like, Keith, you're beginning to change and it's starting to get scary and uncomfortable. And what that looked like for them was like, I started not giving a fuck. Like I was just like, I I dealt constantly with like, how are people perceiving me? Cause I was a, I am a worship leader and I love working with churches, but like there was a specific church that I was working (laughs) with where I constantly felt like the hard like tension and balance of like what can I say or what can't I say especially as I'm beginning to process all of these things around identity like and what are they willing to accept about me yeah they say like lots of churches say like here you are welcome from wherever you are and here we believe in all cultures lead to a more clear vision of the kingdom of God in the, in the hoped for future where God makes all things right. So they're saying all these like beautiful things where I'm like, okay, I'm welcome. But when I began to say my peace and speak my doubts, like that's when you kind of start getting the side eyes. And when I went like from like hard right to hard left, I was like going through the hippie motions of sorry for those who are (laughs) who are more on the woo woo side. But like I I straight up own crystals now, like (laughs) um, like crystals and like getting all these books on like what does it mean to be pagan and what does it mean to like own more of your story, own more of your cultures, your heritages, what does it mean to return to the earth? Be aware of like what land you're on. Like here we're on a lonely land. And like, what does that mean in terms of understanding the communities we're surrounded by that we should be caring for? Mm-hmm. So really it's just, again, ownership of, of yourself, your people, your space. And the more I delved into that and started speaking into that and speaking more of my mind there, it got really shaky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't say I, I, I did things perfectly or I spoke things perfectly. Um, and I mean, I just want to acknowledge that like you were grieving, you were living in trauma. Like mm-hmm. nobody is going to act and say the perfect right thing in that kind of situation. Totally. No, living I appreciate through a global that. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Always good to hear. I feel defensive of Keith. So you weren't perfect. And then what happened? And so what happened was I was like, 
I have to like step out of this like position with this one church. And as soon as that happened, I just found like more of who I was like, cause I just felt, felt like being in that setting, like magnified my own internal issues in ways that I, I didn't want it to. And like, I hoped that that wouldn't have been the case. Like, I hope that like really it would have been a more welcoming place where I could lay out all of my shit, mm-hmm. but really it just made the shit kind of worse. Right. Right. <laughs> and so finally stepping out of that, I'm like, Oh, I can now sift through my own stuff yeah, and realize yeah, these are, like, kind of the negative aspects of who I am, um, but, like, this side of the church, like, wasn't helping. Right. And was that, like, your job only, or was it, like, your job and your church community? Ha. Huh. Yes, it, it was my full-time job, and it was expected that it would be my church community, and that's where I think it, a lot of it also got really messy, mm-hmm. um, because... Now, as I stepped away from that church, like I'm beginning like to like step into other churches and spaces where all parts of me are either welcome or like we don't even need to get to that level of of awareness of each other because it's a job. Right. Like, right. 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 <laughs> so like really just finding myself um, in the PCA church, like getting so bogged down and like burnt out because not only was it my work, but it was also where I was expected to make all of my friends, like, make them kind of my family, believe what they believed. And because I was, like, in a ministry lead on staff there, like, when I began asking questions, like, that's that made things kind of, like, wonky and weird and right, right. just difficult. Does he have any examples of that wonkiness? Part of it was, like, dealing with being gay. Uh, there was that bringing up issues of like race um like they were trying to have conversations about race which i mean i'm grateful for however i would even just say like even as i was going through like the depths of depression i remember someone saying to me like keith you're not yourself and i was like what do you mean by that and they said well like keith like this community here, like we're here to like be there for you and be able to tell you like um, when you're not being yourself, because sometimes you need community to remind you of who you are. And I, at that point I just said, I don't know if I believe in that Hmm. because, and I, I like, I don't know even if I clarified at that point, but just even now it's just like, gosh, like if the point of like conversion and spiritual awakening is like, and resurrection is stepping into the new and, and changing. Like, I feel like we shouldn't be imprisoning ourselves to like one set framework of living. And again, like just finding the beauty in the stories. Like I don't want to read the story of, of, of the Bible like one way. And I feel like Mm -hmm. there's beauty in being able to look at one story from the Bible and being like, oh, wow, like, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. So kind of just being able to just breathe into the new, into the changes, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't finding that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Keith's depression and struggle with external and internal forces manifested in other negative ways. And when he stepped out of his church position, he could see those more clearly. Part of kind of just going through the depression of the pandemic was like becoming like hardcore alcoholic. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like going to Costco, ooh, going to Costco <laughs> and getting like those huge like Jameson handles. Mm-hmm. And I could finish that in like two days. Like it was it was yeah. hardcore. Yeah. So finally, like when I did step out of that context and more just kind of being able to sit more freely with myself, I began to notice like huh, like I, I'm breathing now. <laughs> what steps do I want to make to kind of lead more towards my own health and wholeness where I could continue picking up pieces of my identity at, in ways where <laughs> it's just way more healthy. And so I, one of those things was like, I'm going to take a break from alcohol. And 
I'm going to continue with therapy and I'm going to like, basically I was on antidepressants too at, at, at the worst point of the pandemic. And so I'm going to check in with a psychiatrist finally and make mm-hmm. sure that these are the meds that I need and that I want and beginning to schedule things that are just necessary for day-to-day living and like just really getting my life together before just jumping back into the grind. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. The church has some lessons to learn from AA. I actually started going to AA meetings. Bravo. <laughs> I think I'm like 52 days sober. Woohoo! Um, I almost wish that like Bible studies were more like AA meetings. <laughs> um, because at the beginning of the meeting, they, we kind of just like read through kind of the big book or like either the traditions or the steps. And then there's some time where everyone gets like three minutes to like share if they want to. And one like great thing is that crosstalk is not allowed. Crosstalk is like being able to like comment on what somebody else said. And what I like about that is that it really, one, allows us to really be present for one another, like not sitting there thinking about like, what, what do we want to say to that? It's just more like we accept Mm -hmm. that person where they are at in life we all come together around a common thing that we're that we have as a common goal, um, which for Christians that can be Jesus or that could be the text of the scriptures. But it's the goal is not to change people in terms of how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. can let them sit in their feeling <laughs> of today I want to drink and like maybe someone after this meeting, if you want to like talk with me and help me out, that'll be great. I just like how it gives people that space um, to really feel their emotions, feel their day. And that's what I, yeah, just wish like Bible studies were like, like we read these stories and it's, and I find that like sometimes when people have something to share on that story, somebody else wants to say something in regards to like what that other person said. Totally. And like, they're trying to low key kind of like explain (laughs) the right way to think about the the text. And I'm like, yeah, like let's, Let's accept these people for where they're at, how they're seeing the God talk to them through right. the scripture. Yeah, that's so true. Because I, I think for me, like what I have definitely given up from the way I was raised, the church I was raised in, is the idea that like there are these very specific things that you must believe. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. Or if you don't, you're going to hell. Or if you don't, you're living in sin. Like I just mostly don't believe that part mm-hmm. anymore. That there needs to be those kind of rules. Yeah. So yeah, however you feel is good. However you're reading this scripture and you think God's telling you that that means that, cool. Like, who the hell am I to tell you that it doesn't mean that? Mm-hmm. I'm with you. AA all the way. AA Bible study <laughs> all the way. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> A lot has changed for Keith during this season of pain and growth. He was working hard on integrating all the parts of himself, and he had another change on that list. Even though he saw his dad every other weekend when he was little, dad moved around a lot, and it had been 14 years since they'd connected. So Keith decided it was time. Yeah, like just reached out to him via phone and said like, hey, let's hang out. And he was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. Yes. Yeah, after pandemic, I was just like, you know, like I, I want to get to know <laughs> where I'm from, and um, I had no expectations, just kind of open handedly, like accepting that side of my family as they are, who they are, and it's been really great to get to know them, and that's been part of the journey of like reclaiming my own identity, yeah, um, who I am, where I come from, and it's just been really like a huge joy to do that, and so. Just being more open to welcome them as they are and allowing them to welcome me as I am. I think that's equally as important. Do you have a tangible example of that openness? Um, yeah, like I think like realizing that I had like step siblings, um, but I don't even call them step anymore. Like I'm just like I just call them my my brother and my sisters. Yeah. 
they're all so different. And I remember like growing up, like I wanted siblings and once you actually like all of a sudden have siblings, you're like, Oh, that's like nothing what I imagined siblings to be like, uh-huh. <laughs> like they're their own people. They're like, right. Some of them like are just so in their own track and their own lane where like for me, I'm, I'm kind of like the out, the outgoing extrovert where I'm like, let's hang out with each other. Let's like, let me sit on the floor of your bedroom and like by your bedside and let me just talk with you. And then like, they're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a movie. Oh, right. And so I'm like, oh, they're their own people. They're going to do their own thing. And I guess I'll do mine. Right. Um, so like accepting that even. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but then also seeing kind of like the fun opportunities to bond with them and just appreciating those moments when yeah. I do get them. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, the same goes like for my dad, like, but like, yeah, my dad is also kind of introverted, yeah. but he, I don't know, he's. He says he's introverted, but, like, you would never, ever, ever know. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's just always just open to welcome me, have me over whenever, and, yeah. Wow. That's a lot of change in a short period of time. So where's he at now? Let's start with his belief system. I believe God exists. We have that. I I have to I have to think about this actually. I know. I, I told you it was going to be a hard one. <laughs> yeah, I believe God exists. I believe that Jesus the historical man existed. And gosh, like even as a historical man if we like took away the divine aspect of things. Like he's such an interesting figure. Like he, he got tried and killed for essentially sedition against the Roman empire. And also for being at odds with the religious elite at the time. Um, And yet we know so little about him. Like that's, and that's, but like that's, it's just crazy how we still have a movement about him today. Um, but Jesus, as as a historical man, I believe in. Jesus, the Christ, I also believe in. Um, and what I mean by that is um, very Richard Rohr. <laughs> um, the Christ being um, God, essentially, um, who moves through creation, um, who moves in creation through people, through the church, and I think mysteriously through other cultures, other people outside of the church. And so the Christ kind of being this, uh, this force, this God who desires to reconcile all things and yeah, make all things new. And that's something that I've heard even in my former Christian context and upbringings that I will still carry with me is that God has a desire to make all things new. He has a desire to, he, she, it, they have a desire to unify the kingdom of heaven with, with earth and desire for justice and peace in the world. Shalom, if you will. So those are the things I believe in terms of like scripture. I've loosened my grip on scripture a little bit. In the sense of I'm just returning back to what I remember from being in, in kids' ministry is that these stories are beautiful. Um, they tell a lot about ourselves and about God. I myself, and I even know some more conservative Christians who would even say not all of the stories are literal. And so that's definitely where I'm at. Like, I don't think all the stories are literal. Are they true? Like, oh, and even if you ask like a Jewish person about the Old Testament, if the Old Testament is true, their response would say, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> the shrug. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I had a little shrug. But, like, the point isn't whether or not it's true if it happened, but, like, the the point is engaging with the story enough to where it leads to bringing about something good in yourself and in the world. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with scripture. I am overflowing. 
songs to ears and light to eyes. So paradise. But really, like my earliest ownership of spirituality um, was going to temple with my grandparents, and that was a Buddhist temple. And so where I'm at now, like I still like identify as a, a Christian in in a in a, in a loose sense of the word. You just said it out loud, so yeah, <laughs> that's step number one. <laughs> there we go. However, I just really believe in like being able to find God or the divine in in multiple cultures and stories, and I feel like multiple cultures, ethnicities, traditions, like tribes, tongues, whatever you want to call all the nations, um, all point to the divine in their own unique ways, and. I'm like beginning to just step back into kind of like, what is the Buddhism that I was raised in? Mm. Um, how does it point to that? Mm-hmm. And something that's re- I, interesting to me is the Buddhism that I was raised in is, uh, is called Mahayana Buddhism. Um, and more specifically, Pure Land, which is like this really like unique <laughs> form of Buddhism where they're like this one particular Buddha named Amitabha. If you call on his name, you can be reincarnated into (laughs) an afterlife where you don't have to continue the cycle of rebirth. And that's really interesting to me because I find like some of the similarities, even within Christianity of like, there's one name that can save, that can save you from eternal suffering. (laughs) And in in some sense of the the Buddhism that I was raised in, like, that's kind of what they're saying. They're like, call on this name and you could escape the suffering of like that's intrinsic to humanity and life. Um, They're also very different. They come from different traditions. They're they're telling different stories, but that's something within myself that I'm learning to hold in tension. Mm. And also just be able to say like, this is part of my story, but not completely my story. It's part of my story in the sense that I practiced a little bit of it growing up, but I didn't, continue growing up in that faith or yeah. in that mindset so there's still things that I'm still learning from it yeah um, and just learning to kind of take as is so he has beliefs he's evaluated and chosen to hold on to beliefs that are shifting and then taking a look at other cultures spiritual practices and how he may choose to integrate them then there are things that he no longer believes. Like purity culture stuff. Yeah, the idea that I should not trust the flesh or not trust the body. I think that's such like an inherently, one, kind of like racist thing, um, especially towards me as a black man. Like that's essentially what, masters told my ancestors (laughs) that our bodies were not our own and I think that kind of just gives me a new framework as I think about today being a black man but also being queer Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and also just realizing like my body is is one of the few measurements I have to like judge whether or not something is good for me and so I'm just more leaning into like What's my gut reaction on that? Um, And let me sit with that. Sometimes feelings help you sort through things and can give you wisdom. And feelings point even to kind of either past traumas or just like things that you were taught as like as a young kid where there were like values, either from your mom, your dad, your grandparents that are inherently valuable to you. And you're trying to sort through that. And I think it's good to listen to those values and be like, is that me anymore? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, it's crazy that it's all located in your body. Right. Right. (laughs) So listening to my body more is definitely a thing. And so purity culture is something that I'm like, eh, uh, I'll, I'll leave that. (laughs) Leave Um, that behind. Something more in the middle is like the idea of hell and, and whatnot. Like I'm more kind of just like, Gosh, it was already hell being in a church where I felt like most of who I was was shut out. And so really seeing that like hell already can exist within the mind. Mm-hmm. Hell can re- already exist in your heart. You can say all the right things or as as James would say, even demons believe and yet they shudder at who God actually is. But anyways, like I 
hell kind of just being more like in your mind, in your heart, and that shows in your actions. And so I'm like, gosh, I want to make sure that I'm living a heavenly life in terms of like what I bring about and produce in the world. Like I want to make sure that my heart and my mind are in a good, right, heavenly place yeah. <laughs> so that I can actually live that out. Yeah. And so that's more kind of like, so I'm TBD. not here or there. Yeah, TBD, TBD on that one. Exactly. <laughs> Keith said he does believe in God. I asked him when he has felt the presence of the divine in his life, and his answer was somewhat unexpected. I felt like in my more depressive season with the more conservative churches I was a part of, like I felt God's presence in, more in the fact of like, okay, if I can't be gay, <laughs> um, even though I have like quote unquote gay desires or whatever or they wouldn't even say gay they would say same homosexual sex or attraction. same sex attractions <laughs> exactly um like I remember in that period I found like so many people in the church who were like they, they had the context for for how I was living and yet they were like Keith like we know you need community and like we would love to be an open home for you we invite you to like live in our guest bedroom and have all the Netflix and, and fluffy blankets you want. And like, you could live with us for life. And that was like kind of one of the first like eye opening experiences where I, I finally like it clicked what it meant to call like God father or, or Abba. And in the sense of like people who aren't your own, like adopting you mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and really feeling like, oh, wow, like in, in that point in time, I needed something like that. Like that was kind of my lifeline was a community that was willing to take me in. And I found so many great people out of that context, willing to meet me where I was at and willing to go to where they could go. Mm-hmm. And so I will always speak like well of those churches in that sense, us trying to find a middle ground, even in the difficult tension where I feel like I was giving up way more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Honestly, this was hard for me to understand. There's so many factors at work here. Keith is in a season where he knows he's gay and is willing to admit that. He's in a culture and with a mindset that believes homosexual actions are not acceptable. But what that community was able to provide was tangible love, treating him like family, offering him a home, reaffirming his value. This is love in the gray area. I want them to say, it's okay, buddy, live your life and love who you want. But that's not where they were at. And at that time, what they did provide was a lifeline for Keith. And because it meant human beings truly stepping beyond their belief structure to find a way to love someone, it felt inspired. Here's Keith clarifying what that was like. Even community um, or family is really the word. People brought me in and called me uncle to their newborn kids and really feeling included, especially because as a gay man, and I'm glad you're asking for the clarification, as a gay man who wasn't allowed to be gay, I would be giving up making my own family mm. <laughs> in in some ways. Like, I remember like one of my biggest fears back then was like, so what is to be expected of my life? I'm just gonna go to work alone and come home, eat alone. die alone type of thing but then like people were willing to meet me at least at that point and they're like no that doesn't have to be the truth like you are always worth community you're always worth family like you definitely need family and so that's where they were able to meet me and I would say both of our boundaries there were kind of limited Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we still tried and I will always appreciate that and that, Mm -hmm. that will always be a part of my story in terms of how I still see God showing the intense tension (laughs) that humans could experience, but also, like, that's where love and intimacy are also at work and at play, like, trying to reach one another and and meet one another where we're at. I think I get it. I mean, if you think of those folks in your life who you have very different beliefs with, 
who you have that intense tension with. Love and intimacy with them feels like it would require an act of God to accomplish. Keith was living with that for a period. His experiences with the divine is less intense now, and that feels good. Nowadays, it's a little less intense. Nowadays, I go on walks. Like, I, I just, like, stare at flowers. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that sounds underwhelming, or maybe it just sounds weird, but, like, I, like, stare at flowers, and I take pictures of flowers, and I, like, snip flowers, and I, pr- I preserve, like, plants now. Oh, um, I love it. And they're just, like, dried flowers hanging all around my room now. Maybe I'm, like, a, a granny in that yeah, in that sense. I think so. <laughs> um but, like, I remember, like, even as, like, a young, young kid, like, that's what I always did. And, like, I remember people, like, saying I was kind of, like, a girly kid for that. And now I'm just, like, eh, I'm just going to own it. That's like, right. And I want to be, like, I'm going to live out what I always loved doing. Yeah. The reason why that's, like, a God experience for me is because, like, the flowers kind of just remind me of, like, they are beautiful just being. And that reminds me kind of just, like, the narrative of Jesus's baptism um, where he's baptized and when he's brought out, like kind of God's voice in the form of a dove descends and like God says, this is my son um, who is pleasing to me. And just the fact of just Jesus just being like, and God is approved and God says, beloved, that nothing is required. Like it's just is love. Um, is what I choose to live in now. And so is it always super intense? Like, it's not always super intense. But like nowadays, I'm just like, oh, I'm here. And it's nice to to just be and remind myself like, oh, like God loves me. And just live out of that. Keith has been working with several churches in a worship director role. But the question still remains, where is his church community and what's that like? I've just been with a few churches that I've really enjoyed and really loved being a part of. Short-term gigs or? Some of them are becoming like more permanent. They're, yeah, I'm beginning to like start a commitment with one. And I'm still sorting out what that means for like finding an, like a church community yeah. Um, because as I began to like form commitments, like what does that mean for kind of, again, the, the work versus the relationships. And that's something I'm very like cautious of yeah. now. That seems really, really hard actually. Yeah. It could be, it could be a little sticky, a little tricky, but I'm just really grateful that like these contexts that I'm stepping into are willing to accept me where I'm at. I've been very upfront with them and they've been very upfront with me. So you're like, I'm a human being. <laughs> exactly. Are you guys cool with that? <laughs> exactly. Yes, no. Okay. <laughs> um, and they're all like, yep. So I'm really grateful for that and the opportunities to like be with these cu- couple few churches. And in the meantime, I am also just looking into like, what else is there? Like I'm also willing to like feel out and branch out. Um, in terms of occupation. Okay. However, like my work with the church is always going to be, gosh, yeah, it will be very important to me, Um, whether it's work or whether it's volunteering. Like I will still prioritize finding an actual community, whatever that looks like. Why? Because one, as like a worship leader and worship director, I'm also like a songwriter and I enjoy returning to those stories and and writing songs for the church where we could re-envision like and also um internalize what do these stories mean to us and for our world and mm-hmm. um how can they actually be tools used for good and i love stepping into that creative mindset and just that's just a part of who i am and so that's why i always want to make sure i have an outlet to do that and that's why church community will always be a big priority for me it's important for me to like be connected to a church community and kind of hear the stories of what my own community is going through because that becomes a part of my process not that i'm like 
<laughs> sharing people's actual like stories or anything, but it's like sitting next to people and kind of breathing in the same air is part of kind of the artistic energy for me. Yeah, it feeds it. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. Keith's priorities and viewpoints have obviously shifted, so he might do a one-off music gig at a non-affirming church, but a church like that would not be his home community. He has a generous spirit toward all churches. I still have a lot of hope for churches in general. Sometimes that's where I kind of like leave things to God. I really hope that God is working through those churches and through those communities in other forms, in other ways, in other ministries of justice, in other, in other areas of mercy to their communities and their, their cities. But I also don't feel like they necessarily get all the access to me <laughs> that more progressive spaces might get of me. Yeah, I liked that I liked that you used the word intimacy because that's what it is, right? You're yeah. not going to get that with. They totally yeah. It won't be it won't be complete intimacy because just our the boundaries are stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whenever I'm I'm stepping into a more um, a less affirming space, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so intimacy won't be as much there. But I have hope for that church's growth in in those areas. I still feel anger <laughs> in in certain ways, but. Um, yeah. After this whole journey, claiming his sexuality, leaving his job, reaching out to his dad, addressing his mental health, I wanted to loop back to his mom. How are things going with Lorelai? My relationship with my mom is good. We're going to go to Maui tomorrow. (gasps) Tomorrow? Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be her birthday weekend. Oh, how Um, fun. Yeah. So, but our relationship has changed in some ways. Like, I mean, just like anything, like there's change, there's growth uh, for all parties um, as life goes on. And I think like with my ongoing exploration of faith, it's just something that's very different than what I was raised with under her wing and under her care. But it's chill. <laughs> like it's becoming like, I think at first it was a little volatile because like, there's just like growing pains and the mother wound is what people would call it and all that there. But just always remembering that we are for each other. Yeah. is something that we could return to mm-hmm. and celebrate. Hence going to Maui. There was a grieving slash maybe still is slightly a grieving period of like giving each other space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's all it really is. It's like I'm going to start exploring things for myself and I'm grateful for what you've given me, mom. And I always love you. And my mom will say the same thing in her own way. It's like you do things that I just completely don't understand. <laughs> However, I will always love you and support you. If you want to check out some of Keith's worship music or his thoughts, here you go. My website at keithwattsmusic.com. That's K-E-I-T-H-W-A-T-T-S music.com. My Instagram, Keith Watts Jr. Okay. (laughs) Just J-R at the end. Twitter is Watts, like my last name. Okay. Underscore up. I'm so proud of Keith's efforts to really own all the parts of himself, to live into his identity as a beloved son. But regardless of where you're at in that journey, a community, church especially, should stand beside you, questions and all. I hope he finds that. We'll leave you where we started, with Keith's specialty, a song. Do you have a favorite church song? I honestly have to say no. Like there's just so there like I ugh, I I feel like there's just so many to to name. I will say a song that I find myself humming like all the time or okay. like this is actually one by Tommy Walker. Sing it. 
that goes, I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. So you can like actually sing. Well, that was a little rough, but (laughs) but thank you. I I should take the compliment. That's what I'm trying to learn how to do. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's called. He knows my name. There you go. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And then the other verse is like, I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time began. My life was in his hands. Mm. So, yeah. so. What's that little kid's song? He's got the whole oh. world in, in his, his hands. He's got, got the whole wide world. In his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Whole world in his hands. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Join us next week for Tiffany. I am deeply marinated in the Jesus juice. 